would your education utopia look like? What changes would you make to the way we educate our future leaders? The Fresh Forward podcast is here to inspire ambitious educators like you to have fun, dare to experiment, and shake up adult education. Every two weeks, you'll hear from brave teachers who decided to do things differently, plus my tips on how to put the lessons they've learned into practice. I'm your host, Nija Krik, a learning experience designer and a relentless optimist on a decade-long journey in education innovation. Now, let's make your education utopia a reality, shall we? The way I met my next guest on Fresh Forward Podcast was rather unusual. She posted on LinkedIn that she was looking for female entrepreneurs who used online technology to pivot their businesses during the pandemic. She was interested in the resilience and obstacles of women in business enduring those intense years. I shot her a message and I told her, hmm, I might fit your description. And after she interviewed me for her research and stopped the official recording, we started a lively conversation about education and the importance of empowering women to develop their own entrepreneurial paths and just had a fantastic click. I immediately asked her if she was interested to turn her roles around and be the interviewee this time for the Freshboard podcast. Guess what? She said yes. Professor Maura McAdam is renowned internationally for her pioneering work in the area of gender equality and women's entrepreneurship. As a result of her exploration of the influence of gender and diversity upon entrepreneurial behavior spanning more than 20 years. She has been ranked amongst the top 2% of scientists in the world for research impact of her research on entrepreneurship. And the list goes on, and I'm going to include it in the show notes. And for now, let's listen to the conversation about education, entrepreneurship, equality, and diversity. I really was inspired by your detail that you sent me in our conversation. Like, you know, it's not very obvious, but I started in an industry and then I had this urge to lecture and that's why I chose to go into education. Can you tell a bit about that urge to lecture and why did you become an, uh, an educator? When I think back to it now, it was, I suppose, a calling. I didn't possibly maybe realize it at the time. I suppose I'm always first to say that, you know, I am a lecturer and I'm definitely an educator. I don't really typically see myself as a teacher because I, I always think of, you know, teaching as, you know, you go to teaching college and and you teach either high school or primary school. And so it's funny, I don't typically see myself in that way because I never had that calling and, and I was very clear. I did. I knew I didn't have that calling. So after my first degree, I went into industry and, well, actually, my last year of my first degree, we were taught, it was operations management. It doesn't really matter about the module, but it was the fact we were taught by somebody who actually was in the industry. And this person just talked all about what it was like in the actual, I suppose, the practice of it, what it was like in the factory, what, you know, bringing the theory to life. And um, and things, I think, something clicked with me during that module in terms of that's what I want in terms of 
that actually made me pursue that type of career. But also then that was my favorite module because it was the bringing it to life. I did a part-time master's when I was working. During that, I was approached about doing a PhD. I, I have to be honest, I actually didn't really know what a PhD was. Didn't know anybody that had done it. Just thought it sounded okay. And this person, um, you know, a university professor had said, well, you know, we'll help you get the funding. Would you leave full-time employment? And, um, you know, and I have difficulty choosing what to wear in the mornings. I said yes immediately. But I do remember, like I'd done a little bit of research and I had this sort of niggle about, I'd like to maybe lecture. And, um, and I had inquired a little bit about it. And they had said at that point, you'll need a PhD. Like if you're, if you're thinking about lecturing at university level, you'll need a PhD. So this was like late 1999, 2000. So, and I do remember somebody saying to me when I was leaving work, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to do a PhD because I'm going to be a lecturer. And I remember saying that and thinking, oh, am I? And, um, and then I do remember like when I first started my PhD, I, I did part-time teaching quite early on because I taught the module that my work you know, it was operations management. And, yeah. um, and I taught like a tutorial. I remember my first tutorial. And, um, and I remember the first thing I did after it, I phoned my mom and I said, oh my goodness, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Th- this, is, this is just amazing. And she said, well, that's great because you did leave work. Like she just was like, and that's amazing because obviously, you know, this is the call. Yeah, I just had this calling of like, this is what I want to do. So I haven't really looked back in terms of, I love lecturing. I love undergrad, masters, young adults, all the way up. I love bringing theory to life. And um, yeah, just having those discussions. So um, yeah, so that's over 20 years now. So yeah. (laughs) So that's over 20 years of very happy career, which is great to hear. I would love to dig slightly deeper into that first time, just when you called your mom and said, this was awesome. Yeah. What inspired you so much? What was so satisfying to you in that moment and all those years afterwards? What is it that you love about being an educator? Well, for me, it's it's definitely bringing theory to life. And it's like not, you know, it's not saying this, okay, this is what the textbook's saying, but this is what it is like in practice. This is the challenges that you have. And, and it really is just that bringing theory, bringing textbooks life and then for example like I teach if I teach at MBA level they are coming in obviously they're part-time working and they are talking about what it is like in their organization so it's that real applied research theory to life and just real world discussions and relevance talking about the relevance of it yeah yeah how do you basically bring theory to life in your own classrooms. I hear conversations, but what more? Like, give us the juicy details of the how. When I first started teaching, I did teach operations management and sort of management degrees and that are management modules and, you know, uh, undergrad degrees. Now my expertise, my area is entrepreneurship and that, that's the area that I research in as well. So for me, it's about taking some of the the research, the findings that I've got and bringing them into the classroom, getting students to discuss. Obviously with entrepreneurship, 
for me, it's about experiential learning and it always has been. So when I first started teaching entrepreneurship, I never taught business studies students. I taught nurses and pharmacists and chemists and engineers and everything. But, and it was to make their, you know, and a lot of them were like, you know, well, I'm here to be a physicist. What do I want to know about entrepreneurship? Yes. But for me, entrepreneurship, obviously, you know, it is an academic topic, which we can learn about in research and it has real strong theoretical constructs, but it's also a mindset, but it's also can be very practical in terms of these are the steps that you go and follow if you, you want to set up a business. So there's, there's lots of elements to it. But one of the things that I strongly have always believed and still believe to this day is this idea of enterprise skills for life. And these skills are important for everyone, I think, regardless of what career. So I agree. You know, it's creativity and, you know, it's personal branding and networking, all of these things. And it doesn't matter if you're a nurse or an engineer, all of these skills, I think, are incredibly important. So within, I suppose, an entrepreneurship module, I do think I obviously have to impart the knowledge in terms of the research and the theory, but also then giving students space to be able to try things out and to be able to acquire skills. So that's like role plays and, you know, it can be case studies. It can be actually more like observation walks and activities. So it's about designing your lecture and designing the activities. So for me, there's a skill element, there's even a mindset element, but there's also then it's nicely aligned to theory as well. Yeah, it's beautiful that you're talking about these elements because so I'm I'm also a teacher by profession that moved into an entrepreneurship to work again with educators. So it's almost like a full circle. And what I'm learning as an entrepreneur on my own, I am applying whenever I'm working with educators who want to break the mold of how they were taught they need to teach. Yeah. And, you know, it's so much I am teaching. There is a content that I'm teaching. But to be honest, at the end of the day, the most work that I do is about mindset, giving yeah. permission to do things differently. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that one? Because I know you've been also talking about giving permission to people to do things differently and owning their own skills and passions and dreams. Yeah. And that, that's one of my big mantras is you have permission, full stop. And I, I use that a lot, actually, not necessarily with students, but I actually use it a lot when I um, do keynotes and um, inspirational talks with women entrepreneurs and with women, because there is that tendency, I think, that we have to, as humans, we have to think, well, I have to have the degree or I have to have achieved certain milestones before we can actually do certain things, you know. So I always say, you know, you have permission, full stop. And um, but then if we relate that, I think, to the, the classroom, you know, environment, that one of the things which I think is so important for entrepreneurship, but also, I suppose, in a much broader sense, is this idea of self-efficacy. And, you know, in very basic terms, self-efficacy, particularly in entrepreneurship, is that idea that can do. I can do this. You know, I, I've got what it takes. And there's definitely, and there's research to support this, there's gender differences with that among students. So I think one of the things as an entrepreneurship educator, we need to be focused, you know, how do we build 
self-efficacy within our students and how, how do we and for me the classroom is not just a physical space but it's also a safe space where students can try out these types of skills can try them on for size and work out what is you know you know for example we try if we try networking like what what's my networking style because i'm like an introvert but like it's very different to somebody who's an extrovert so it's giving people space it's trying to build that self efficacy and um yeah and giving them permission you know or just say you have permission yeah so that that's one of the mantras that i really like and use a lot because i think it's very appropriate it is like whenever i drop Sometimes I feel, you know what, I think right now I just need to say it. You have permission to do it. And there's this ah, relief, even though I might be facilitating something online, there's still a sense of relief of, oh, oh, thank you for that reminder. Or thank you, I'd have never thought about it. Yeah. But another thing that I think is super important to stress um, when it comes to entrepreneurship or really taking the leadership in education is that there will be failure. And that it's okay to fail. Can you talk about your take on, you know, failing? Yeah. So I think we have to be comfortable with experimenting. And, you know, if we go into that sort of sphere of experimenting, we have to acknowledge that or we have to accept that failure comes with that. I suppose I'd be the first one to say that, you know, it hurts. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, let's, um, you know, just, we just take it on board and we, we move on and it's really easy. I find it really difficult. And that's where I have to, I suppose, work on myself and my own mindset in terms of reframing it, doing, you know, giving myself sort of the, the talk, the self-talk or the pep talk that I give everyone else. And there's a quote and it says, you know, failure is first attempt in learning. And I just think how perfect is that in terms of, you know, if we're going to put ourselves out there, if we're going to put our foot out beyond our comfort zone, there is a risk involved. And, you know, and the result might be incredible, but the result might be less than optimal. But I think it's just we have to, that's part of the process. And we won't get the highs if we don't accept some of the lows. But I'll be the first to say I have to do the pep talk of myself in terms of reframing, you know, licking of my own wounds and then get allowing myself to be a bit stronger and then thinking, OK, how, how do we pivot now? What can we what have I learned from this and how will I do it differently? Yeah. And especially me as an entrepreneur, I know that failure, there are so many moments where I do exactly that. There are moments of high and then there's a freak out moment and I need to go into my own hole or my own cave if you want to and go like, okay, it's okay. It's okay. I can do this. I can do this. So for me, stepping into being okay with failure is also part of leadership, right? Part of leadership of doing things differently or part of leadership of daring to do what you think you want to do, like what you feel, what you, your dream is. And I was telling myself for the longest time that I have nothing to look like. I, who am I to be here and talking about facilitation and education change and blah, blah, blah. And every time I post an, a podcast episode, I need to go through that pep talk myself. So can you talk about your challenges that you are encountering as someone who is teaching about women entrepreneurship? 
And in my world, women entrepreneurship is a, I'm a woman, I'm an entrepreneur for 10 years. So for me, this is like, of course, you're talking about that. But I'm assuming that's not such a popular topic among researchers. But you tell me, what what is it? Is it fringe or is it up and coming? Where is it when it comes to a topic? Yeah, I suppose, well, I still think it, it shocks me in that the first article that was focused on women entrepreneurs or just included them, it wasn't really focused on them, included them, was 1976, which is still not that long ago, to be honest. And um, But there is, for me, obviously, it is an area that, yeah, so I, I like research, which keeps me interested, intrigued, and I very much say I'm curiosity-driven. And anything that's new, novel, that's what I'll go after. Like, I'll ask the awkward questions because that's what keeps me excited. So for me, women's entrepreneurship just keeps me excited, keeps me passionate. And I'm constantly learning about the area and the opportunity to interview and speak to other women entrepreneurs is one of the best parts of my job. Now, within the entrepreneurship arena, I suppose women's entrepreneurship is growing. You know, it would have been, I suppose, considered it's obviously a small part of it. It is growing. In June, I hosted the Women's Entrepreneurship International Conference in Dublin. Um, we had nearly 100 delegates, academics, global scholars, all researching women's entrepreneurship. Mostly men are women researching women. So I suppose, um, but out of those 100 delegates, I think, you know, we had over 90% international, you know. So the scope and the range of women entrepreneurs and their, I suppose, our capturing of their experiences is really expanding. There might be some academics that would say, you know, you know, all entrepreneurs of the same women don't merit special attention. There's still a little bit of that. But I just think in terms of diversity inclusion, in terms of including the, a wide range of voices, I think it's so important to focus on women entrepreneurs and women entrepreneurs' experiences are very different than their male counterparts, you know. Oh, so, yes. yeah, very, very different. So they definitely, you know, and I'm not saying this because I've made a career out of it, but they definitely merit special attention in their own right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you're talking about these male and female counterparts. I also see differences in how we perceive certain things in education. Uh, also, for instance, let me give an example. I am very big in invitations instead of rules. So there's a slight nuance. Also, whenever I'm facilitating, I extend invitations and I don't impose rules. And then I had a conversation with women about that concept and it resonated a lot. And then I spoke to male educators about it and they were like, invitations, why would you invite? It's, I mean, I'm making it really black and white right now. It's, of course, there's a spectrum, of course. There, yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was so interesting to see that also in these nuances, there are differences of how we perceive what is important. And therefore, my next question would be, what is important for the future of education in your opinion? And I suppose you've you've touched on it there in terms of spectrum. And I think, you know, in terms of, you know, I obviously look at gender and there is, there's no doubt, there is a tendency and this idea that gender sticks to women. When we say gender, 
we automatically think of women, you know, but there are many, many genders out there and that is very much expanding. And with that, I suppose one of the things that I think one of our challenges, but it's also exciting too, is that I suppose the identities of our student our student cohort is becoming more complex. There's greater diversity amongst our um, student cohort. And I suppose it's, for me, that's exciting, but it's also then making sure that our teaching styles, the techniques that we use, that we take on board the different learning styles, the different identities, and also what they want to, um, I suppose different generations see education and see learning in very different ways. So I think we have to move also with our changing cohort. And that's probably one of the the, the challenges, but it's also exciting too in terms it of- It is, isn't it? It keeps yeah. us on our toes and it, it means, you know, we have to you know, think about the way that we teach and how we teach and how is our message being communicated and also hopefully received as well. Yeah. And what are the things that you're already adjusting in accordance to different cohorts and different people that you're encountering in your classrooms? Yeah, and I suppose one of the the big, I suppose, challenge or changes for me, I suppose, since 2016 is that I do most of my teaching in Saudi Arabia and um, and it's a Princess Noor University, the largest all-female university in the world. And I teach entrepreneurship there. And, um, and I suppose one of the things that I've loved about that, it's just been an amazing experience, but it's just, you know, for me, developing that cultural sensitivity and you know and one of the things that I was very adamant with myself and my conversations that I have with myself is that I wasn't just going to take like slides or module or content that I've had from you know over a 20-year career and just try and replicate it and use it um, in that context that I was very determined that I was going to understand as much as I could the context use even simple things like use their role models and use their um, practical examples and get to understand entrepreneurship from their perspective. And I suppose that was one of the, the first things that I really was wanted to prioritize was trying to really develop that cultural sensitivity so that my module and the way that I taught really, you know, um, had that from its very core. Yeah. I'm curious now, it's the first time that I'm talking to someone who is teaching in, let's say, well, in different parts of the world. Yeah. So if we go to, back to a question of what is learning for you, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. How do you see it? And how do you see, if you see any differences between the spaces that you teach in? So I've thought about this a lot recently and learning for me in one word is expansion, and it's expansion of whether it's our knowledge, our skills, whether it's um, what we're currently doing. And for me, then, an educator is somebody who facilitates that expansion. And again, whether it's, you know, pushing, you know, the expansion, whether it's stimulating, whether it's creating a catalyst or a safe space for that expansion to take place. But it's definitely the broadening of, say, students' current scope. So that, that's, for me, it's one word and it's expansion. Beautiful. 
So I really love your title. Like people say that you are the curiosity professor, right? Like the yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that you are basically asking awkward questions. What type of awkward questions do you ask people? Well, I remember it was. I remember uh, an ex-boyfriend said to me years ago. He I remember him saying that obviously not in the research context was saying <laughs> you ask the most awkward questions. But I think you know. In the nice phrase, it's curiosity. Some people might call it nosiness, um, mm. but it's it's. I suppose it is beneficial for me, you know, as a researcher, because as a researcher, we have a responsibility, or I believe we have a responsibility in terms of what we focus on, what research questions we ask, what research questions we don't ask, or what groups we don't focus on. So I think we have a responsibility. In terms of the curiosity, I suppose, you know, I'm one of those. So, for example, um, within my university, we have our DCU, we have a national center family business and we would engage a lot with family, Irish family businesses. But one of the things that came up for me engaging with those family firms and in Ireland, we have still got the tradition of primogenitor. So primogenitor is basically where the The, the business would go to the eldest son. And that, that's still quite strong within Ireland. But there are examples where the daughter is now running the business, particularly if she's had an older brother. So whenever I started, you know, getting exposed to that, that and that was maybe four or five years ago, I, I had to go after that. Like I, I had to go, you know, there was there was no stopping me in terms of I had to go start researching that. And I have now two, you know, papers as well, um, you know, well thought of um, journals but that that there was no stopping me in that because I just thought that's something we need to know that's something in terms of it's just for me entrepreneurship is, is disruption that's disruption or disrupting the the gender norms that's disrupting the tradition and also then it's so important that other women know of this and can see that there's a path there and that it's creating you know a path that they can follow Yeah. I remember watching a, a video of you talking about this when there was a gentleman that came to you after, or you had a conversation after a, a talk and you asked him like, who's going to take over yeah. your company? And he said, I always thought it would be my son, but now actually I think my younger daughter is the entrepreneur of the family. She should do it. And it was yeah. this expansion that you were talking about this. Oh, right. Um, I, I thought that was a beautiful beautiful example yeah and that's actually whenever I did the interviews I interviewed the fathers because I, I wanted to understand you know because they were disrupting you know they weren't picking the person that you know tradition um family culture expected so I thought oh I need I need to interview the daughters but oh, I need to interview the fathers as well so that, that's what I, I can totally sign up to that type of curiosity. For me, it was always group dynamics. How can how can the groups get alive? You know, and, and there was no stopping me. Like yeah. I moved, I moved countries for that, literally. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. So if we go back to the the word of disruption in combination with leadership, and recently I had a really lovely conversation with a group of educators, and we were talking about disruptive pedagogies. Yeah. The question from the workshop giver was, so what are we disrupting? And 
basically everything that was named to be disruptive in the previous times, like television, video, audio, podcast, whatever, right? That's a tool. But what are we really disrupting or what is it that we want to disrupt in the way education is done? I would be curious on your thoughts of what is it that you think or see as something that needs disrupting in education, in the way we do education nowadays? I suppose one thing, and I don't know whether, you know, it's not something we need to disrupt, but I think it's something that I think as educators, we need to very much adopt adopt reflective practice, um, you know, because I think it's very easy for us to get into a routine and get into this is the way that we teach, this is the way that we do it, and you know, um, but I think we need to get into quite, you know, regular reflective practice and, you know, is this still fit for the job? Is this still this, you know, appropriate for this cohort? Is this information still relevant? And so I think the reflective practice. The other thing in terms of, so interestingly, and I suppose this is my own opinion, I think in terms of COVID and obviously lockdowns, and I think it really I think we should have been using online education and online technologies a lot sooner and a lot more advanced than we were. And I think one of the, I suppose, pluses for um, educators is that it pushed us and I think we can get stuck. And I think that was one of the, um, although, you know, a lot of us had to adapt very quickly. Um, and um, But it, it worked. And it, I think it, in a lot of ways, it worked incredibly well. Like it worked, it really shocked me in terms of some of the ways it worked incredibly well with certain cohorts. So I think that's been one of the the advantages, can I say that, of COVID, is that it did, it, it kicked us, it gave us, like it pushed us right into um, digital technologies. And we probably should have been there a lot quicker and a lot sooner. So for me, I think it's more about reflective practice of ourselves, really trying to have that nuanced understanding of the diversity of our cohorts and not just their sort of like identities, but also their learning styles. And also, you know, how do we adapt to different learning styles? But also then, yeah, just to be able to use technology to help us and to augment what we're currently doing you know it's not an either or but I do think we um we can use tools particularly if we have a very diverse tech advanced cohort that we have to move with the times as well yeah I still remember I was studying uh, at my university it was uh, my lectures on on didactics and the the gentleman who was giving the didactics course was reading off of the you remember those that you you needed to write on foil and then project it on yeah was it acetate sir yes oh yeah yeah and that was a course on didactics like I could I still cannot get over the the irony of the situation (laughs) yeah yeah and I think we have to move in a way that uses technology to to help us to be able to communicate with our our different cohorts. And, and I think that's what it's about as well. It's about alignment, communication, so that that fit is, yeah. um, so that we can facilitate the expansion that we're trying to, yeah. to achieve. I think technology is is important part of the experience, but not limited to, right? No. Um, no. 
So I'm curious, could you tell a bit about how do you enable learning about gender equality and empowering of women and girls in your own teaching? Because that's what you're about. But how do you bring that into your own teaching? Uh, is there a special topic that you're talking about? Is it a special moment? Or, you know, I'm I'm interested in the how you translate that theory into practice in your own education practice. Yeah. So obviously, you know, there there's all the theory, like, you know, and you can do your PowerPoint slides with all the theory. And but I think discussions and facilitating discussions with the different cohorts and and obviously and a lot of times I do teach predominantly say an all female cohort, but it's also interesting to have, you know, for me, again it goes back to this idea that gender sticks to women. So when we say gender, you know, it must be about women. So when we say gender equality, oh that's the women's problem. So they need to go yeah. and sort it out. So it's about for me diversity and inclusion and you know and particularly you know i teach in management degrees so it's about showing the benefits showing the challenges showing everything that is related to having a diverse and inclusive workforce because you know there's so much evidence to show that regardless of your industry that you know you need a workforce that reflects your clientele you know um so it's about Really bringing that to life, having those conversations, again, I think I've said several times, it's about a safe space so that students can have these conversations. But other ways in which you can, I suppose, facilitate those conversations is through role models and bringing in a lot of role models to speak to students, to talk about their challenges, talk about the realities. I love the idea of the realities of entrepreneurship to talk about, you know, their journey and maybe sort of the, even some of the gender specific challenges they've had along that journey. Um, TED Talks are brilliant. So they're really just a tool, as you say, in terms of just to ignite that sort of conversation and to allow the students to explore and also then, you know, talk about, and I think it's that peer to peer learning as well, to talk about their experiences. Um, Although it's like not particularly related, it does make me think, and we've used this within the Family Business Centre, we've used actors, improv actors to help, you know, family businesses, particularly when they're talking about issues which are considered quite sensitive, that actors can come in and they can act out certain parts of, you know, so whether it's a, um, a family situation. Time. Yeah, like a situation. And then the the audience, which is typically the family business, they can then say, oh, no, they should do this or they should do that. So then they're getting to talk about those tricky things, but doing it in an abstract manner. So that's probably something I might, you know, would be a tool for me to be able to use maybe in future to talk about some of those more challenging aspects in terms of, of gender diversity and inclusion. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I would like to conclude our conversation with a last question going in parallels. So what is it that educators that are listening to this podcast can take for themselves as, you know, gentle reminders that you are learning through your research and through your work with students about entrepreneurship? So for me, entrepreneurship is always going to, there is an element that it's a mindset, like, you know, and for me, it's all, that we all can really benefit from this entrepreneurial mindset. 
And like one of the things that I teach a lot and I still, I would use it for myself is creativity. You know, we all can benefit from creativity and, you know, exercises and techniques that we can use. And, and even in the, like I very, you know, I remember years ago studying creativity and, you know, talked about, you know, your morning routine. And, um, and I'm very religious about my morning routine in terms of, you know, the meditation and the no TV and, you know, the no muse. And, and that, I suppose, is something that I, I do every day. And that is to help my own creativity in terms of my writing and also the way that I design modules and everything. So I suppose the entrepreneurial mindset, I think, is important, particularly if you're teaching entrepreneurship. I do think you need to think about it in the the theory, the skills, and also the practical aspects of it as well, because I've seen modules where they might just focus on one and then you're missing all of the other. So it is a challenge to be able to incorporate all the different layers of entrepreneurship, but I think it's it's interesting for the students if you can try to bring some of the, the different elements in or just signpost them to some of the things. But I do think it is about you know mindset, all of that is so incredible in terms of the creativity, the attitude to failure, um, you know, taking on small risks on a day-to-day basis. So all of that, I think, is very beneficial to all of us, regardless whether we set up a business or become entrepreneurs. I think it's really good life lessons yeah. as well. I love that parallel because I'm already thinking about people that I work with, right? And it's some of them are teaching, let's say last year I was facilitating a, a group process to to professors of chemistry and they were like, but how can we put these things into life? And it, there also needs to be a mindset change or a mindset switch. And there also is creativity involved in teaching and how you how you facilitate that knowledge to land in their, in their learners and so on and so forth. And there needs to be a connection to real life. As much as, let's say, natural sciences or in arts and, you know, philosophy, sociology, name it. There is always, I love these pillars, if, if, I, if we call it like that, you know, theory, mindset, and then bringing it to reality as in, yes. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned something there about feeling that, like, if we are going to be creative, if we are going to be trying different things in the classroom, we are taking a risk. Like there's been a few times that I've tried things and thought, what, why aren't I just standing there with my PowerPoint slides instead of trying, you know, role plays and trying things that I've never tried. And some of them have worked out brilliantly. And I'm so glad that I took a risk, but being a creative educator, there is a risk involved. Like it is, it is easy for us, you know, and as you say, years ago to just stand with acetate overheads or, you know, PowerPoint slides now, like that, that's straightforward. Like we, that's our comfort zone. But if we are going to create, I think, a really worthwhile learning experience, we have to be creative and we have to take the risk as well and try things. And sometimes they don't work and just think, well, okay, I won't try, I'll try something different. But um, and I've said to my students before, well, I've never tried this before, but we're going to see how it goes, you know. So, um, and I think the thing I probably would end on is that it's not a one-way street by any means. You know, you talk about reverse mentoring. I don't know what the phrase is, reverse educating. I learned so much from my students in terms of, you know, just in, I suppose, keeping young, keeping up to date, but just, yeah, so it's not by any means that it's one way. They give back in so many different ways as well. 
Exactly. What a beautiful moment to end this conversation because it is about this reciprocity in energy and in curiosity and in discovery and expansion that you were mentioning. Thank you so much for that one. Yeah. Maura, thank you so much for this conversation. I hope our listeners will get some nuggets of inspiration out of it. Oh, I hope so. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired to experiment and inject more of yourself into your classroom. One thing is certain. You can do whatever you set your mind and heart to. I dearly believe that. If you long for more inspiration and practical tips, sign up for the newsletter where I share exclusive content related to the podcast episodes. Jump to nejakrik.com newsletter and join a community of fun, ambitious educators like yourself. Till the next episode, have fun! Have fun!